This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. Big show today. Lots of trades to discuss. Oh my God. I, I, I'm very excited. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, fantasy hockey robot, bunch of other things, Brian Kong. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. I don't think you're getting lazy. I think I think that was the right call. I think you need some new names before you go through them all. And for anybody wondering or ready to make the joke yes there is no doubt that we are still going to remain keeping carlson we pledge allegiance to carlson no matter where he goes it's not an ottawa thing it's a carlson thing people ask me if i'm a sense fan and i say no i'm a carlson fan okay well hey i'm gonna be very objective about this if carlson goes to say tampa bay and all of a sudden it's victor hedman on pp1 and carlson on the second power play unit i don't know if i'd be keeping carlson but anyway we'll deal with that when it happens that trade has not happened yet i'm actually wearing a eric carlson t-shirt right now on ottawa might be the last day where this is a you know factually accurate shirt to wear unlikely i think it's gonna happen in the summer this is dumb to say though because likely i mean there's a good chance someone's listening to this past 4 p.m but anyhow, doesn't yeah. matter. We've got enough to talk about. We don't need to go into Eric Carlson. We'll even have some sense talk because they did make a trade. We'll get to that and a whole bunch of other stuff in just a minute. Of course, let's first mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It is your go-to place during the trade deadline. First, probably for all the fantasy season, but especially now after every trade, almost immediately. I don't even know how they do it. It's like they have advanced notice of these trades. Almost immediately, there's a full write-up breaking down the trade, saying for each player that's involved and maybe even other players who gains in fantasy value, who goes down. So it's very important to be up to date checking out dauberhockey.com during this all important time of the fantasy season as we're approaching our fantasy playoffs and all of these roster moves are happening between actual nhl teams plus you've got all the tools like the starting goalies and the line combinations it's all there in one convenient place and that is dauberhockey.com okay brian let's obviously start with the first fantasy hockey headline of the week which are a bunch of trades and I'm not, we're not going to go through every single trade that happened. There's a few that we don't think are fantasy relevant. But I'm going to go through chronologically the trades that I think are worth discussing that might have an effect on someone's fantasy team or maybe leads to a free agent having value and being worth adding. So let's start with way back on Monday when the Detroit Red Wings finally let go of Peter Morazic, sending him to Philly in exchange for a couple of conditional picks. And just the day before, Brian, we recorded a podcast and we were discussing the McCall Neuberth injury and whether or not 
uh, Alex Lyon would be able to take over as the number one goalie. And if we saw him being able to hold the job and like all of that became out of date very, very quickly. It's all moot now. Marazic has come in to take over the job for at least as long as Elliot and Neuwirth are hurt. I assume that's going to be for the rest of the season or most of it. And Alex Lyon, who knows how many starts he'll get? Probably not too many. And hey, so far, so good for Peter Morazic as a Philadelphia Flyer. He has had two starts and two wins. A 2-1 win over Columbus on Thursday, 5-3 win over Ottawa yesterday. And keep in mind that while Morazic's overall season numbers aren't great, he has a 9-10 save percentage in 24 games. It's like below average, not so great. But actually, over the past month, in eight games, he has a 9-18 save percentage. So he's already been improving. Now he goes to a better team in the Philadelphia Flyers, a team that's contending for the playoffs, has a lot of offensive firepower. Like, it's going to help him win games even when he doesn't play well against Ottawa. You know, he didn't have a great save percentage. He led in three goals, but still, Philly got the win. That's probably what we can expect from Peter Mrazek going forward, right? Like, I'm curious, Brian, like, how much, for sure, his value goes up. How much does his value go up going to Philly? Like, how much does the skyrocket? Is he now, like, a top 10, 15 fantasy goalie asset for the rest of the season? Like, he's on a strong team. They're on a great run. He's in line to get a ton of starts moving forward. I feel like he'll get almost every start. I don't think they're going to be giving Alex Lyon the net very often when they need to go for these wins. Is Morazic, like I said, is he a top 10, 15 goalie right now for the rest of the season or am I hyperbolizing a bit too much? Wow. Hyperbolizing. An early candidate to be the longest word used on this episode. Someone at home, let us know how we did in the rest of the show. I was going to say skyrocketing. I don't think that tops it, but that's how I would describe Peter Morazic's value. Finally, he gets out of Detroit, who clearly didn't want him who exposed him to Vegas in the expansion draft, didn't seem to have an agreement in place to make sure he wouldn't get taken. And so uh, here he is, finally in a number one role, again, uh, allowed to do his thing because Philly really has no other option at the moment. Of course, there's Lyon, there's Carter Hart, but I don't think that's the route they want to go right now, especially being in the thick of a playoff race. You know, there was sort of this in-between feeling most of the season from Philadelphia where They seemed like they were contending just fine, but that the bottom could fall out and were they really built to be a team that can make a legitimate playoff run? And by acquiring Peter Mrazek, I think they're signaling like, yes, we are ready to make a run at the playoffs. We're not going to chance it with Lyon or with Carter Hart as much as we might believe in him in the future. We need Peter Mrazek for now. We've talked about how great Philadelphia have been and how they've gained a surprising amount of ground on the rest of a very competitive Metro Division. So right now, the Philadelphia Flyers need Peter Morazic to be good, and Peter Morazic needs, well, Morazic needs himself to be good if he has any hope of resurrecting his career. He just turned 26 years old this past Valentine's Day and has a good six or seven years ahead of him if he can salvage this opportunity to establish himself as a legit NHL starting option. So there's a lot on the line for Morazic here, and I'd like to think he's going to be up to the task of at least posting serviceable numbers with a chance he can get hot and steal a couple games for the Flyers along the way. Remember, the Flyers are a franchise that have historically had huge goaltending problems. So just meeting the serviceable requirement, I feel, would make Philadelphia pleased as punch with what he brings to the table, especially for the very cheap price at which the Flyers acquired Morazic. I don't know that he's automatically a top 10 fantasy goalie rest of the year, but he is up around tier three or four though. So he's in that conversation where he could be a decent goalie on a good team. The one thing to keep in mind, if you're rushing out to get Peter Morazic is he might not take you all the way to the end of the season. Let's not forget that Brian Elliott is still very much in the picture. He'll be healthy come the end of March. And when he's scheduled to get his first start again, or when he's 
deemed healthy enough to get his first start, I imagine he's going to be given a chance to get starts before the playoffs begin. Right, yeah. But a lot of seasons, like in terms of fantasy, fantasy seasons end a week before the end of the regular season. So, you know, Morazic might take you very close to the end, if not all the way to the end. Brian, you mentioned Carter Hart. I thought I read somewhere that Philly doesn't have the option to call up Carter Hart, even though he's been really good. Oh, that's very possible. I'm not familiar with the contract situation. So, uh, okay. I mean, now they definitely won't. Well, yeah, now clearly they won't. <laughs> How do I salvage myself after that? After saying, well, they don't need to bring him up. Uh, he's on his ELC, so I don't know what the condition is there. Okay. Like, I'm over on Cap Friendly. I don't Doesn't know matter. what the deal is. Okay. Irrelevant, right? Uh, I was going to ask you about Mrazek's keeper value now. Like, in terms of, like, looking forward to next year, we don't need to dig too much into this. But, like, I'm curious to know what his – like, did, did Philly just trade for him for this particular playoff run, just in case Brian Elliott can't get healthy? and Or either way, like, until Brian Elliott gets healthy? Or do you think they have plans for him in the future? Like, Carter Hart, by the way, is this goalie prospect for people who don't know – in the Philly organization, he's apparently killing it in the WHL this year. So I think long-term their plan is Carter Hart. So I don't think like Peter Mrazek all of a sudden becomes a must-own goalie for like years to come. Good for now. Brian, also, we got a question on Twitter right after the trade from C-B-I-L-L-E-H. I don't know why I'm sorry. Sibylle? I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, at Keeping Carlson, how would you rate Mrazek after the trade versus Luongo, Varlamov, and Ranta? And I actually said Mrazek last right after we got that tweet. And I'm regretting, like, I was just taking a look as I was prepping this episode. And I was like, I don't, I don't think that was right. I think I'd still have Luongo first, but probably Mrazek next. And then Varlamov, man, we've seen that Varlamov is not uh, going to do too well, at least with Eric Johnson injured. So I, I might have gotten that wrong. Brian, who do you like there as the top option between Luongo, Varlamov, Ranta, and Mrazek moving forward for the rest of the season? That's definitely the right group to have Mrazek amongst. I think I would actually have him at the top rather than the bottom, just based on what you can expect all like Luongo's and Varlamov's and Ranta's respective teams to offer their goalies in terms of win opportunity. I feel like Mrazek has the best out of that group, the best chance of winning on a nightly basis, so long as he plays well, right? Like, this is a group of of goalies that we know we can't totally count on night in, night out to be able to post above average save percentage. We'll see if Mrazek can break out and do that now that he's trusted in a number one role. Like, he did have a couple good years where he was playing. uh, I think he had a good year where he played 25 games, another good year where he played 50 games, has not been able to rebound back since then but I still think he could do it. One thing for sure in Philadelphia, it seems to me like Michael Neuverth is done. And Elon, I don't know if that's apropos of anything you just said, but I did want to slip it in there since we talked about Brian Elliott. Uh, clearly, I, I don't know exactly what the plan in the organization for Michael Neuverth could possibly be. Uh, he has been inconsistent. He's been oft injured. As for whether Morazic sticks around and becomes the Flyers' new franchise goalie, well, Brian Elliott is still signed for under $3 million dollars next year they will also have Morazic's restricted free agent rights we'll learn a lot about what they want to do based on his performance over the next few weeks yeah a little shade by the way Brian Roberto Luongo I don't think he's known for having a below average save percentage I think that I still would take Luongo over Morazic for what it's worth and I also think anti Ranta is really good in terms of save percentage but I don't know about the goals against average and the wins just because he's on Arizona but okay let's move on not to the next trade but since we're on Philly I want to talk about another big thing that's happened over there which is the injury to Wayne Simmons he's on the IR with an upper body injury he'll likely be out into mid-March and with Simmons out the one player who's really benefited is Nolan Patrick who we already brought up as an interesting ad 
on the podcast recently, we were saying, oh, he's online too now, playing with Simmons and Voracek. You might want to take a look at him. Now with Simmons out, all of a sudden, Patrick has gotten onto the top power play in Simmons' spot, and he's been killing it. He's got goals in four straight games, two of those on the power play. He's currently on a five-game point streak. Plus, Nolan Patrick, he took nine shots yesterday versus Ottawa, and he hasn't been a big shots guy, but obviously he's really coming into his own right in time for your fantasy playoffs. So I feel like Nolan Patrick must be worth adding if he's still somehow in free agency in your league. And Brian, my question to you is, which Philly youngster do you think has more value, at least while Simmons is out for the next few weeks? Like, would you take line two power play one Nolan Patrick or, and by the way, line two is with Voracek and Jordan Wheel since Simmons is out. Or would you rather have line one power play two, Travis Konechny? Because Konechny, we've talked about definitely being worth owning. And he's been great. He actually missed a game with a foot injury, but was back yesterday. Didn't get on in on any of the five goals versus Ottawa, though he was a plus two. So he probably was on the ice and could have gotten some points. So basically, you've got Konechny, who's been a proven point guy on the top line for a long time. But at the same time, you have Nolan Patrick on the top power play and currently on the hotter streak. Who would you rather have? I would rather have a healthy Travis Konechny. Not to shortchange what Nolan Patrick is doing, but we marveled last week. We gushed without any sort of restraint about how good Konechny has been, how he's amongst even strength scoring leaders over the last two months. And that's still impressive enough for me to prefer him to Nolan Patrick. But at the same time, Nolan Patrick should certainly be owned in your format at this point. He's in a good spot. He's producing. You should be able to at least stream him in to see what he's going to offer you. Okay, yeah. Obviously, at this point, you have to look at the schedule, make sure he'll actually get into games on your roster. But if you could fit him in, there's probably no better option. Actually, Brian, I'm going to ask you about a bunch of people that I'm going to be like, is this person better or worse than Nolan Patrick at this point? So we'll see if there's better options as we go through this episode. Uh, so, of course, we also have to look at the impact on Detroit with Peter Morazic leaving that team. I imagine now it's Jimmy Howard's net for the rest of the season. He was great yesterday for my opponent, Brett, in the couple, unfortunately, in a 3-1 win over Carolina, though that was Howard's first win in four starts. And over the past month, he's been pretty inconsistent. Like, he's had some great games, but he's also had some very forgettable ones. Curious to know, Brian, like, what would you be expecting from Jimmy Howard moving forward? Like, you know, I, from what we've seen so far, I'd imagine like a win every two, three games, maybe, and a consistent, but ultimately near average, save percentage, maybe a little bit below average. Like, is that the best we can hope for? Like, obviously, Jimmy Howard's value goes up a little bit now that Morassic is trade, just because he's probably going to get the majority of the starts. I was going to suggest that maybe Jared Corot could steal some starts. He's actually been really great in the AHL this season. Apparently, he's been red hot since December 22nd with a 13-2-3 record, a 192 goals against average, and a 933 save percentage in 18 appearances for Grand Rapids. I'm quoting all of that from Roto World. So Corot could be a threat, but at the same time, Detroit's playing the second game in two days today, and they're going with Jimmy Howard again against the Rangers. So seems like it's Howard's net. What do you think about him moving forward? At the start of the week, you asked me if you should add Jimmy Howard, and I was like, no. And then your opponent added him, and you were like feeling really anxious about it. And I haven't heard anything from you until he finally has a good start. In his third try at it this week, he did blow up two games for your opponent and anyone else who owned him before putting up that one good one. Uh, so that's your own fault, Elon, if you can't overcome one good Jimmy Howard start out of three appearances. So yeah, Jimmy Howard has 17 wins and 43 starts this year, and I don't expect Detroit to suddenly pick up their game down the stretch above where it's been at all year. As for Jared Carreau, he's been great in the HL lately, sure, but I'm not sure he's valued 
as a future possible starting option for Detroit. I wonder if they, well, I mean, he's up there in the bigs right now, so they're not going to send him back down just to help Grand Rapids. Uh, this could be an opportunity for the Red Wings to try out Jared Crow, but they got a pretty good snapshot of his abilities last season when he put up an 887 save percentage over 14 games. And this guy isn't exactly a prospect either. He's 100 days older than Peter Morazic, believe it or not. 26 years old and 100 plus days. Prashanth Ayer of The Athletic wrote in a recent article that he sees Detroit moving on from Corot when his contract is up at the end of next season. So if that's the case, I don't see much reason to use him any differently than they would a standard number two goalie behind Jimmy Howard. Unless, of course, Jimmy Howard falters, although that would be how you use a standard number two goalie. Yes. Okay. So we'll watch and see. Obviously, Peter Morazic is at least a tier or two above Jimmy Howard to be nice. Like I would obviously prefer Morazic, but Howard, hey, a number one goalie. He might be in your free agency. There might not be too many of them. He wasn't considered a number one goalie before. Take a look. See if you could use his saves, as I'd imagine he'll get a lot of opportunities to stop pucks for the rest of the season. Okay, next trade. Uh, okay, obviously, as you guys could tell, we're going to go through trades, but look at the teams and discuss them as we go. So we'll see how long it takes to get through all these trades. Next fancy relevant trade that happens and also involves goalies likely won't have that much of an impact but i wanted to bring up that la traded darcy kemper to the coyotes for scott wedgwood and tobias reader the coyotes then signed kemper to a two-year deal while the kings promptly sent wedgwood to the minors they have no interest in him i guess they just wanted to get rid of darcy kemper though hey they got tobias reader and we'll talk about him in a sec he's actually looking pretty good he's in a good spot but i'm actually curious to know brian do you have any idea why arizona made this trade like anti rant has been solid he has a 937 save percentage over the last month including his shutout of the ducks yesterday it's not like they're contending for the playoffs and need a strong backup goalie just in case something happens to ranta like why would they go for darcy kemper and then sign him to a two-year deal is this a sign that ranta could get traded or that kemper will be given the chance to challenge ranta for starts for the rest of the season like i gotta admit as a ranta owner in our joint league in a league that pretty much only counts wins and saves we don't have to worry about you know his save percentage but like i was hoping the good thing about ranta was that he was going to play pretty much all the rest of the games this kind of puts that in doubt or or am i wrong we'll see like kemper's by the way playing tonight against vancouver so we'll see how his first start sacks up to ranta's shutout yesterday but yeah do you have any sense of why arizona made this trade as far as like trying to understand those things from an arizona perspective one arizona has been like a traditionally undercovered team so whenever i'm trying to find information about their players or their front office there's often precious few details around to actually glean information if i'm not watching myself or listening to post-game interviews which uh, for arizona i admit i don't do all that often So unfortunately for us, but fortunately for the Coyotes organization, they are much better also at going about their business quietly than the loose lip sinking ship sends organization who have regrettably set a very unreasonable standard for what we could hope to know about any NHL franchise. This does not apply to the Coyotes. They've taken a much different tack. And when they've been asked about what they're going to do with Oliver Ekman Larson, they're just like, we're not talking about it. We're in negotiations with him. It's just that easy. Anyway. Uh, I don't know if this is a sign that Ranta is going to be traded, the fact that the Coyotes have acquired Kemper, but my guess would be that there are no tea leaves to be read from this deal happening in terms of what it means for Ranta's future. The Coyotes had, or they felt they had with Wedgwood, nobody pushing or challenging. They had already swapped out Domingue for Wedgwood, so clearly they're looking for a number two goalie. I guess it's a priority for them, and I guess that's what Kemper gives them, as well as an alternative option, yeah, if they don't want to re-sign Ranta at the end of the season. That said, I'm not terribly convinced that Kemper 
had so much to do with his great numbers that he had so far that made him appealing to Arizona. He was playing behind a very solid LA team, put up a 10-1-3 record with a 9.32 save percentage. That's a huge departure from anything Kemper has put up before. So while maybe he offers a bit of a push to Antiranta, I still think he is clearly the second best goalie in the organization. Okay, good. Well, I hope you are right. Uh, then, okay, let's look at the LA side here. There's clearly not much impact in net. Like, Jonathan Nett was already quieting any fears of Kemper challenging him for starts. You know, there was that sl- slow stretch. I think Kemper got, like, two games in a row at some point, but that's over now. And, yeah, it's Jonathan Quick's net. We don't have to worry about that. If anything, the real story in LA is actually that Jeff Carter is healthy. That Like, it's almost like this trade is nothing, but Jeff Carter, that's the real acquisition that LA has made over this past week they get back their second line center and top power play guy Jeff Carter he finally returned from his ankle injury he had four shots in his return versus Edmonton no points let's take a look at the lines with Carter and Tobias Reeder back in the lineup and they were going with Kopitar Brown and Tobias Reeder Oh, well, look at that, line one. And then a uh, familiar line, the 70s line, I believe it was called, Carter, Toffoli, and Pearson. Then the top power play was Brown, Carter, Kopitar, Doughty, and Muzzin. So Jeff Carter gets right back to his comfortable line and his top power play. So that's a great situation for him. Brian, what are you expecting from Jeff Carter moving forward? Is there any reason that we shouldn't be expecting at least a 60-point pace or more going forward? He's broken a 60-point pace in each of his last three seasons, including 66 points last year with pretty much the exact same role in the lineup. I guess the one reason to not expect that would be if he's still I don't know somewhat rusty from not having played for such a long time but I mean it's Jeff Carter he's rested up a pretty long time I hope he's ready an often underrated centerman is who Jeff Carter is and maybe it'll take him a few games to get up to speed but there's no reason like by default we expect him to be a 60 point plus guy and maybe we can reassess like we'll watch closely and if we see anything weird that makes us feel like bumping him up or down from that projection through his first five, 10 games, we will be sure to let you know. But until further notice, he retains that status. Jeff Carter, 60 plus point guy. Yeah, he's great. Hopefully, I know a lot of people were tweeting at us and asking on Facebook if they should be adding him and stashing him in IR all throughout the season. I hope you did. It's a nice free acquisition right now to get, uh, you know, top six, top power play, 60 plus point guy like Jeff Carter into your lineup without even having to use an acquisition because he used it so long ago. Okay, I guess that must mean that Tyler Toffoli becomes more valuable again now that he's got Carter back as a centerman and not Adrian Kempe or whoever else has been playing with Toffoli throughout the season. Toffoli, he had a goal on eight shots yesterday, 23 shots in his last four games. So he's already been heating up. Now Carter is back. I mean, great for Tyler Toffoli, I'd assume. And then obviously we got to talk now about Tobias Reeder, who's looking to me like a great free agent ad right now on the top line with Andre Kopitar and Dustin Brown. He had a goal yesterday in his first game with the Kings, six shots, which is fantastic. Plus LA plays Monday and Tuesday of next week, like right after you listen to this episode. If you get it in time, you can pick up Reeder, get two games in two days, and then you could always reassess. So why not pick him up and try him out? They're, they're two games against Vegas, so not the easiest opponent, but... Seems like he's capable of giving you some shots, if nothing else, right? All accounts have Tobias Reeder as a guy who has potential to contribute, but had fallen out of favor with Rick Tockett in Arizona. So here's a fresh start for him. Undersized 25-year-old. His career high is 37 points, though he's still been able to fire off more than two shots per game at the best of times. That's what I'm hoping for him as an LA King. If you stream him into your lineup, That's also what you're hoping for, that at least if he's not going to get points, he gets you a couple shots. He certainly makes an interesting streaming option for as long as he's with Kopitar. And yeah, 
I do prefer him to Tanner Pearson, although now Tanner Pearson gets to play with Carter and DeFoley. So Foley, by the way, he already started picking up his game ahead of Carter's return, which is nice because Carter only helps boost his value further. Jeff Carter, Tanner Pearson are big upgrade for Tyler DeFoley over his previous line mates of Kyle Clifford and Nate Thompson. Another thing with Toffoli that I'm going to be watching, he had seen dips in ice time at the end of last season and throughout the first parts of this year, but now it seems like Toffoli is back on track to his higher-end deployment of what we've seen in his career. Must own, I think that's what you called him, Elon, whether you did or didn't, that's probably a heavy label for him. He recently had a multi-game run playing with Kopitar and Ayafalo and had very little to show for it, so I don't think it's necessarily automatic but I would likely jump at him anyway. If you have nothing else to lose, you might as well add him to your lineup, try and get out in front of it in case he does really start clicking with line mates he's clicked with before. Yeah, and plus, you know me, I'm a sucker for those shots on goal. So if Toffoli's going to keep throwing eight pucks at the net every game, I want him on my team, especially if he's getting those feeds from Jeff Carter to help him get the most premium of shots. Okay, Brian, uh, we still got a lot of trades to get to. Before we do, let's take a second to stop down and thank a sponsor for this week's episodes, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. Like I said last week, now is a great time to go check out an NHL game because all of these games are so meaningful, like a lot of playoff races are going to be determined by a point or two the game you see is going to have so much emotion and excitement because it could determine if the team you're cheering for is going to make the playoffs plus you get to see people on new teams you get to see tobias reader on the la kings maybe that's not the most exciting example peter morazic on philly i don't know take your guy so definitely you want to check out seeking because it is the smartest easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event whether you're searching for a last minute deal planning a night out with friends or need to find the perfect gift SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices fully guaranteed SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals they even sort the tickets by value which i love because sorting by price is fine but i don't want to look at the crappiest tickets and the worst places if you see by value you get a sense of oh this is a really good deal you know me brian i love a good deal and you know what you can even get a better deal using SeatGeek if you're listener keeping carlson why don't you tell the listeners how there's no reason not to so here i go if you listen to our show you will get 20 dollars off your first seat geek purchase even if you don't listen and you just like found this somehow uh just download the seat geek app enter the promo code keeping do it today that's promo code keeping for 20 dollars off your first seat geek purchase are you sure they're not going to ask a skill testing question? They'll ask a question about the last episode. Who did Brian like better between T- Tobias Reader and Tanner Pearson? And only then do you get the discount? I don't even know if I can answer that question the day after an episode. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think I, I would go Tobias Reader also. I, I, would say. I, I love line one with Kopitar and a guy who takes shots. But of course, Toffoli over Reader. Okay, let's move on to a couple of New York Rangers trades. Now, first on Thursday, they traded Michael Grabner to the Devils for a second round pick and a defenseman prospect named Yegor Rikov. So we'll see if we ever mention him again. It's a pretty fun name. But for now, let's look at Michael Grabner, who has 25 goals in 60 games this season, which is very impressive, especially considering how we've barely mentioned him on the show all year. So a very under the radar 25 goals. That's a 34 goal pace, by the way, if he keeps it up for the rest of the year. He only has six assists to go with all these goals. And Dave, in our patron-only Facebook group, pointed out that many of his goals have been on empty nets. So maybe there's been a little bit of luck that's gone into Michael Grabner's amazing goal pace so far. But hey, obviously it helped the Rangers get a return for him from the Devils. Let's take a look to see if now Michael Grabner is worth taking a look at as a New Jersey Devil. He started yesterday versus the Islanders on line two, playing with Palmieri and Zaka. But it seemed like that didn't last. Palmieri 
Mary ended up playing a lot with Hall and Hisher. The, the game started with Hall, Hisher, and Jesper Bratt, which of course drove me crazy as a Palmieri owner because Palmieri had finally gotten there. I was like, oh, what? Michael Grabner's going to ruin this for me? But it didn't last. Palmieri got back up at some point with Hall and Hisher. And then Michael Grabner ended up playing with Miles Wood and Zaka. So it didn't seem like such a great spot for Grabner. He ended the game playing only 13 minutes and 34 seconds. He had two shots, nothing else. Long story short, I'd imagine that Michael Grabner is pretty useless if he's not playing with Palmieri or Hall. Maybe even if he's playing with Palmieri, he's useless. Maybe it's only if he's playing with Hall that he'd have value. So I'm not into Grabner. What do you think? Do you do you like him at all? Or do you think he can easily stay in free agency? Well, something else that eats into Michael Grabner's usefulness is when there is a goalie in the opposing team's net. I know that sounds crazy, but one reason Michael Grabner has 25 goals this year is because he scored a league leading seven of them on empty nets. And fun fact, he was tied for the league lead in empty netters last year with four, which I guess means that Alan Vigneault has really trusted him out in last minute situations to defend leads, but he also puts the puck in the net. That's some kind of skill. Anyway, Grabner has also had near zero opportunity to score power play goals. So maybe there's a bit of a wash there. He's 25 goals, all of them even strength, although they're not even strength if you score with the goalie pulled. Take away the empty netters, and Grabner is still a top 25 goal scorer at even strength this season. Uh, he's up there with guys like Josh Anderson, Johnny Gaudreau, Jonathan Marcheseau, so Alex Debrinkit, Kyle Connor. Those are his peers there which means like very little because it's a weird collection of guys to all be together in a stat. There's no conclusion to draw. Those aren't guys you would ever group together for any other reason. Long story short for Grabner is that, yes, Elon, like you said, I would rather he gets to play with Hall or Palmieri or both. But keep in mind that Grabner has done what he's done this year, which is still score even strength goals at a reasonable rate while being most frequently centered by Kevin Hayes, who was good, but, He's not the greatest. So I figure that Grabner can probably still maintain borderline relevance, like worth a stream every so often, even if he's with Pavel Zaka and not Hall or Palmieri or Hishier. Okay, so yeah, we'll see. I don't think so. I think that at least on the Rangers, Grabner had a decent enough role, like second line. I don't know. So we'll see. Obviously, things could shake around depending on how New Jersey does. For now, I would say forget about Michael Grabner, if it turns out that Brian's right and you should have had him, then I'll feel like a big dope. But I don't think it's going to happen. And by the way, speaking of some other players... Wait, under- I didn't... Do, I didn't... That There's your straw man scarecrow right there that... Uh, oh, that's a reference to things that happened before we went on air. So now I just sound silly. I didn't say you should add him. I said you could maybe stream him in if you're looking for a goal. Yeah, and you'll be disappointed and mad at Brian when you do that and you don't get a goal. But okay, Uh, other players on New Jersey that I want to point out are Kyle Palmieri, who we mentioned a bunch of times. Let's point out he has 13 points in his last 14 games. He's been really, really good. Hopefully you added him while he was on a cold streak. Also, Taylor Hall. I mean, I know we've already mentioned him a bunch of times on this point streak, but this point streak never ends. He now has a point in every game he's played since January 2nd. We're approaching two months of Taylor Hall getting you at least a point every game. There's like 20-something games and multiple points. that I don't even have the numbers. It doesn't matter. Taylor Hall is getting you points all the time. He's amazing. And Brian, by the way, Nico Hischer, 10 points in his last eight games. Don't think I forgot that the last time I brought him up a couple weeks ago while lauding Taylor Hall, I said, this must mean Nico Heischer could be a dependable, like 60 plus point guy for the rest of the season playing with such a red hot Taylor Hall. You're like, Oh, come on. He was playing with Taylor Hall before and he wasn't doing that. And I was all, Oh, but I remember everything, Brian. I I was all, Oh, but he was a rookie. He's learning. He's getting better now. Anyways, still red hot. I would definitely want Nico Heischer. I think he's pretty, a, a very solid bet 
to give you a 60 point pace moving forward for the rest of the season as long as he's staying on this top line with Taylor Hall and Kyle Palmieri. You ask me to share my opinion and I share it and then you hang it over me as heavily as you can as long as it's convenient for you. I'm going to remember this. You ask me the next question, I'm going to give you an answer that you can't hang over me at all. Okay, so I'm going to skip what I was planning to ask and go on to the next Rangers. Okay, no, fine. Let's see what you have to say. Uh, I was going to say that if Sammy Vatman is still a free agent in your league, you need to go add him ASAP. I assume he has eight points in his last eight games. He's on the top power play. I feel like especially if Will Butcher was the type of player that was coveted in your league early on when he was on his hot streak on the top power play at the start of the year, Vatman's got to be a no-brainer at this point, right? Like he's in the same situation, but he's on an amazing point streak and actually does some other things. He doesn't only get points. I think he takes some more shots than Will Butcher, at least. Yeah, I don't know if he's a no-brainer. He might be. He might not be. Um, you just you just never know with these guys. Oh, so what you were saying is you're just not going to give any advice moving forward? Essentially. Oh, okay. Well, this is going to be a boring show, but I'll give my advice. I think Vatnin's looking pretty good in the top power play <laughs> on New Jersey. Elon, it, there's like a 40% chance of rain tomorrow. Should I bring my umbrella with me? I don't understand. What What, what are you trying to say right now? Should I, bring really? my umbrella? Should I bring my umbrella tomorrow when I go out? I personally never use an umbrella. I don't even own an umbrella. I'm not a fan. It's like you're carrying around this extra piece of equipment with you all day. It's such a hassle. If you get rained on, you get rained on. It's not that big a deal. That's my opinion. I'm anti-umbrella. Don't give me an umbrella. But Brian, what's your point? Okay, we got to get back on tracker. I'm sorry what I said about Nico Hischer. I thought I'd point it out as a little joke. Obviously, you didn't like it. I won't do it moving forward. You obviously give very fantastic advice all the time. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't ask for a better podcast. (laughs) Okay, moving on. Vatnin, no-brainer. Yes, get him. (laughs) <laughs> okay uh, another rangers trade so i'm going a bit out of chronological order here because i'm going to go back to another trade but we're on the rangers we gotta you know keep it going news came out just today that the rangers traded rick nash to the bruins for ryan spooner matt Bileski, and a defenseman named ryan lingren and also a first round pick and a seventh round pick so okay a big haul for rick nash and i'm very curious to know brian if you think it was worth it for the bruins before we dig into the fantasy impact like do you think this is a good deal for boston they get rick nash they lose Ryan Spooner, who had been on their top power play and on a line and like doing okay. I don't know. Seems like a lot to give. Well, Boston's winger depth had been like beyond their top line. That's been something the Bruins have been missing for a while now. And yeah, Danton Heinen, David Backus, Jake DeBrusque, Anders Bjork, and Ryan Spooner have all taken turns of varying success in offering some kind of secondary scoring. But Rick Nash helps Boston get something definitive there, something with more certainty than they've had all year long. They also were able to get rid of half of Matt Bolesky's contract. Of course, had to give up a first rounder and Ryan Spooner in the process who could be helpful to an NHL team, but had been in Boston, uh, been in the Boston doghouse for plenty of time over the last couple of years. To me, it seems like a pretty square deal overall. So uh, I feel like it could be one of those that helps both teams. Why not? Okay. Yeah, we'll see. I'm curious. And let's talk about Rick Nash in terms of his fantasy value. It's I feel like it's hard to pin it down without knowing exactly where he'll fit into the lineup. But luckily, he got traded today. Then he played today. So we already get to see where Rick Nash has been playing on Boston. And in the 4-1 loss to Buffalo, he literally just took Ryan Spooner's spot. He was playing with Krejci and DeBrusque on the second line. And he got on the top power play in Spooner's spot, which is an amazing top power play, along with Marshawn and Bergeron and Pasternak and Tori Krug. So 
great landing spot for Rick Nash. And he had a good game. He didn't get any points, but he had five shots on goal, which is obviously great. Also four missed shots, as I see on ESPN. And I never know if I should consider that as anything. Seems okay. He's just throwing a puck at the net. It would be nice if he could hit the net. Maybe it would have gone in. Who knows? But yeah, good start for Rick Nash. Curious to know if you think his fantasy value goes up or down. Like he was in a pretty good spot on the Rangers also on the top line and top power play. Well, what do you think? Rick Nash, would you add him? Like, I'm not as, as excited about him, but maybe I'm being dumb. I think you can probably hope for and expect the same sort of thing. He'll take a lot of shots. He'll get some goals. He's still, like, he's not a super old man. He's 33 years old, and yes, he's lost a step, but he still has a pretty great shot. We know over the last couple of years, his shot rates declined. This year, they're back up with how they were a few years ago, which is a really nice thing for him. So we'll see exactly what role he's given as a Boston Bruin, but I am optimistic that he can maintain, like if he's in your lineup right now, he's probably still worth keeping in there. Okay, so let's say someone has listened to this episode, they still had Rick Nash in their lineup as their bottom guy, and then they heard us talk about Nolan Patrick being on that top power play on Philly and doing so well. Who would you like at this point between Nash and Nolan Patrick moving forward? Just to get a sense of what we think about a Nolan Patrick in free agency. I think I would still prefer... Rick Nash. Keep in mind that Nolan Patrick has four goals on his last 17 shots, and he managed nine shots on goal against Ottawa, which is fantastic for him, but that's not something that's going to happen all the time. I would expect him to be like two, three shots on goal per game if he keeps getting this increased role of, although like he has, like that's just on average. He's zero, one, four, five. He's all over the place. So uh, he shouldn't have scored this many goals. Maybe, Elon, I'm starting to think we got we got too excited about him at the start of the show. Like, he's not that close to Travis Konechny. So I would prefer Rick Nash over Nolan Patrick. I feel like one, they're probably not so different in terms of their value. I just think Rick Nash is going to be a little more consistently helpful. Right. And also, of course, Wayne Simmons is going to come back at some point, bumping Patrick back to to off the top power play, though he'll still be on a second line now with a better line mate. So maybe that evens out somewhat. But OK, I'm with you, Rick Nash over Nolan Patrick. But uh, we'll have to wait and see how things look for Boston. They're a strong looking team, by the way, moving forward. They're going to be very tough to beat, though. By the way, they lost to Buffalo today, four to one, which isn't great. I wonder if they'll shake up the lines and everything we said won't matter. We'll have to see where Rick Nash ends up in the next game if they want to try to make some adjustments after this bad loss today. OK, let's look at the Rangers now who lost Nash. They lost Grabner. In comes Ryan Spooner. I guess Ryan Spooner quickly, I'd imagine he loses the meager amount of fantasy value he had. He was on that top power play in Boston. And that was such an amazing place to be. He's one of those rare guys who didn't seem to be that valuable for his even strength role, but was on the top power play and getting some power play points. I don't think he's going to get on the top power play on the Rangers since they already have Buchnevich and Kreider and Zabanejad. And we'll get into all those guys. Like, I don't think there's a spot there for Ryan Spooner unless they got him to be on the top power play. We'll have to see how it shakes out. But anyway, are you excited all about Ryan Spooner? Are you jumping to add him? Or would you think he just falls down your list of potential free agent ads? He could be an interesting depth producer on New York, which we've seen all the time, right? We've seen Kevin Hayes have runs. We've seen JT Miller. We've seen Pavel Buchnevich, and maybe these guys are, are, are a little bit better than Ryan Spooner in skill, but he could get an opportunity in New York that he has not had in Boston if he can endear himself to his new coach, and that could help him at least be semi-relevant, continue to be worth a stream as he has been in the past. Right, yeah, just don't expect the 
better chance of power play points that he gave you while he was on Boston, at least while he's not on the top unit. Of course, a big change for the Rangers, aside from these trades, is that Chris Kreider has returned from his surgery. He had to deal with a blood clot. He missed 24 games, but he finally returned on Friday, and the lines were, like, he went right back to the top line with Zibanejad and Buchnevich. He was also on the top power play with Buchnevich, Zibanejad, Zuccarello, and Brady Shea. So a great spot for Chris Kreider coming back. Curious to know, Brian, if he's been dropped at some point, like I feel like a lot of leagues I've seen Chris Kreider was dropped, much like I said about Jeff Carter before. Now, if you can add Chris Kreider and get a top line, top power play guy, like how good do you think he is? He has 22 points in 38 games so far in the season going into today, which is a 47 point pace, which isn't that great, but he did get 55 points last year, which is closer to the real Chris Kreider. Do you see him as a plus or minus 50 point guy in terms of pace for the rest of the season? And of course, regardless, he also gives you shots and hits. So he helps you in some peripherals as well. But what do you think about him for points? You're not going to like this. I'm going to be on the fence about his 50 point capabilities or like by saying he has 50 point capabilities and not giving a plus or minus to that number. Kreider has played more time with Buchnevich than he has with anyone else. So it makes sense that that's where he starts now that he's healthy again. And with guys heading out the door in New York, it's hard to imagine Kreider falling outside the top six now, which he really hasn't anyway in the last couple of years. There are a lot of moving pieces though. So we'll keep our eye on where he plays and who he plays with over the next week or two. In the meantime, I'd be happy to try Kreider out as a 50-ish point player. He'd been having trouble so far but this season before getting injured, putting up points at even strength. Kreider had only 10 even strength points in 38 games, but his shot generation numbers looked pretty steady. The thing with Kreider is everybody has been so quick to anoint him a 55-point player when he gets out to a fast start or whatever. I've always been reluctant to get on that 55-point Kreider train, so I'm still holding back from that, but he could be better than your bottom roster guy for sure, especially if he stays with advantage at even strength and on the top power play unit. Look for his even strength points to come back better than they have at the start of the season. That's what will be enough, hopefully, to get him to at least 50 points. Okay, at least 50 points is especially exciting. So it sounds like you're saying you're somewhat conservative about your projection of Chris Kreider, but probably if he's a free agent in your league, you want to take a look and see if you could add him just because he's a top-line, top-power play guy. And he did have a really good year last year when you put it all together. It's a pretty good year, 55 points. Not too bad. Yeah, uh, the year before that, he was, what, it was 47 points or something. He's always been a little back and forth, and there was reason, I, I can't remember, I didn't include it in my prep notes, but there was reason for him to not quite have reached 55 points last year. That is fair. And another guy on the Rangers I wanted to ask about quickly. Should we talk about Kevin Hayes? He was on a great run. He had four goals and four assists in seven games, but then he went pointless on Friday. And now there's all these roster changes. Was there anything to this point streak by Kevin Hayes? Or do you expect it to be fleeting production already done if you added him time to move on? Yeah, Kevin Hayes had a nice little run, but nothing looked remarkably different during that run compared to the rest of the year that Hayes has played, which had amounted so far to a sub half point per game pace before the streak that helps bring his production closer to what we'd expect on the whole. Uh, But to answer your question in a short word, no, I'm not running out to get him. Yeah, that's fair. And especially if you're in a not so shallow league, having someone like Kevin Hayes on your roster doesn't make much sense. Though having knowledge of some of these not highly considered guys, but knowing that they've been on good runs, that could be really helpful if you're playing with our second sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at 
FanDuel because when you're playing Daily Fantasy, you need to find some good value guys. I'll bet you Kevin Hayes is going for super cheap. You could slot him in. He was doing well. Or Brian, you're saying you don't like him so much. There's a bunch of other good value guys we've already talked about on this episode, like Tobias Reader. You could probably get him for cheap. I wonder when Nolan Patrick is probably going up a lot by now. Also, it's so fun to play Daily Fantasy because you just get to set a new roster every time you play. You might be frustrated. Oh, I didn't pick up Jeff Carter when I had the chance was a free agent. You could still benefit from Jeff Carter. Now you could add him to your Daily Fantasy team on FanDuel, see how he does. It's really fun. There's something for everyone over on FanDuel. They have lots of contests to choose from. Starting at just $1, you pick a contest, you choose your team, you watch your score in real time, and you see how you do. In fact, Brian, we actually have a Keeping Carlson FanDuel Listener League that we run every couple of weeks when we do one of these spots. And guess what? I actually landed in the money the last time we played. I came in fifth place, so I was right on the line. It was really fun. I had Sidney Crosby for the Penguins game over Ottawa. Like, Penguins won 6-3. to three. Then I took a risk on Cam Ward, and Carolina beat LA. It's really fun. You pick your team for the day, you see how it goes, and it would be pretty cool to see if you can compete against our other listeners and beat them in a FanDuel league like one we're doing again on Tuesday, right? Yeah, come join us. Maybe you'll hear your FanDuel username shared live on the next episode of our show. All you need to do is beat us and everybody else. You can join our contest as early as Tuesday morning by heading over to FanDuel.com slash Carl. That's FanDuel.com slash K-A-R-L. Guaranteed money. So someone's going to win something. Maybe it'll be you. And uh, we'll have fun along the way. Yeah, and I was referring, by the way, to our last contest a couple weeks ago. Last week, the patrons played within themselves, not an official one of these like official Keeping Carlson League games, and Matthew won. He did really well. Congratulations, Matthew. But okay, Brian, let's move on to more. We got a lot more trades to talk about. Let's look at a trade that got you to tweet up a storm from our Keeping Carlson Twitter account, at Keeping Carlson, and then I think you decided that maybe it was too many tweets. So then you switched over and started tweeting from your personal account because you just had too many opinions about this trade where the Ottawa Senators sent Derek Broussard to the Pittsburgh Penguins for Ian Cole and Philip Gustafson, 2018 first-round pick and 2019 third-round pick. Strangely, Vegas was also part of this deal. They got Ryan Reeves, and they took on a chunk of Broussard's salary. And then the rumor mill is that apparently they did this just to keep Derek Broussard from going to the Jets, who might be an earlier playoff opponent for them. So a whole strange thing all around. But at the end of the day, what do we see? We see Derek Broussard on the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I'd love to know what you think, Brian. I know, why don't you just summarize, before we get into the fantasy value, if you want to give a quick summary of what got you so excited to send out all those tweets, what do you think about this trade? Uh, the trade? In a vacuum. I don't even know where to start. I'm very unhappy with the Senators organization, as you know. I mean, they've been making just a fool of themselves for eight to ten months now, and the last three days have been particularly painful ever since it came out that Eric Carlson has to go. Like they they need to rebuild or something, which is so strange because not even a year ago, they traded a prospect who is crushing it in the all Svenskan, Jonathan Dolan, for Alexandre Burroughs, who they just waived today for nothing. So that was dumb. Oh, and they also extended Burroughs for another year beyond, like, which was absolutely unnecessary. Uh, They also waived their top pairing defenseman, Johnny Oduya, which just shows that he's not a top-pairing defenseman. It seems like there are a lot of personal vendettas with Eugene Melnick involved. And now there's a personal vendetta between Eugene Melnick and myself and the rest of anyone who would like to see a Sens game and feel good about where their money is going, but can't anymore. 
Oh, yeah. And they also got Matt Duchesne and like sent away a whole bunch of futures, including a lottery protected pick that might actually. And everyone at the time was like, oh, yeah, that's like they could finish in the top 15. That's cool. Give that pick to Colorado. They could be a bottom five team for the next two years, which would just be uh, apocalyptic, catastrophic if the Senators win the draft lottery, but the pick belongs to Colorado. Ugh. That would be pretty funny. Though. Like, oh, it, it's just, what's, what's the plan here? Like, why what? are you acquiring now assets? Like, you traded Zabanejad for Broussard. Uh, you're trading away tourists. Like, there's no cohesion in okay. all the moves that they're making. They're trading present for future. Then they're trading future for present. And none of it makes any sense. Yeah. Well, Brian, I'll just play devil's advocate just for fun. Because I know you're so confused. I think the clear answer here at least from what we know, is that at the time that they traded for Brassard and then for Matt Duchesne, they thought that the Sens were good. And they thought that this was going to help them get into the playoffs this year. I don't think they were expecting them to have such a terrible run and lose all of these games ever since that Matt Duchesne trade. So that's why they did it. And then it just turned out to go in the worst possible way that it could have. And now they have to, you know, it's a sunk cost. Any trade they made before, they can't take it back. So now they're thinking, okay, we suck. We've got a plan for the future. That's how I see it. So at least I understand why they did the Duchesne trade. You could say definitely it wasn't a smart move because maybe they weren't clearly as good as they thought they were. Yeah, I think that's what they were going for. If they were a Matt Duchesne acquisition away from getting to where they needed to be, then tearing apart the team as it is now. And every every move that they make can be traced back to dollars, right? Exactly what it means for Eugene Melnick's pocketbook and how to keep it. Like he's, the, the sense that I have is he's gutting the franchise just long enough. They're going to get a new arena in a better location, like hopefully within five years. So he's just going to try and hang on on a totally skeleton budget until he can sell the team for like a... a an increased amount, but it's going to be because of their arena, but it's going to be worth nothing. Like nobody, everyone is already detaching. Um, What was the other thing? I don't know. I have a lot to say on this subject. Like it's also just uh, the way they're going about things, like aggressively listening on Eric Carlson. What does that mean? They're leaning in really hard while other people may or may not be talking to them. I get what you're saying, Brian. You are a diehard Sense fan, and it's ripping you apart on the inside. To I see don't. That- I, I wouldn't describe myself as that way. Well, no, you're very upset I'm, about this. I'm a fairly pragmatic person. It's just like, well, the Senators are the team in the city in which I live, and I could go and see Eric Carlson anytime I want for the next like seven years. See one of the best players ever to play in the city, or I can go watch nobody. I would rather a team that has Eric Carlson be playing in my city. Fair enough. Okay. But let's move on from that. Thank you for that rant. Let's look at this trade. The big deal here, like I said, is Broussard going to the Penguins. So let's commend Broussard, first of all, for really raising his value over the past seven games. He put up five goals and four assists in his last seven games. He's also taken a ton of shots on goal in that span, which kind of, Brian, makes it hard for me to expect him to be this good on the Penguins? Like, he's already been so good on the Sens. Maybe it doesn't matter either way. If he's good, he's good. But, like, now he goes to the Penguins where the word is Broussard's going to play on the third line centering Phil Kessel and Jake Gensel. At least how it'll start. We know how the Penguins love to shake things around. By the way, how deep is this team? Their top two lines yesterday were Crosby with Rust and Simone and then Hornquist with Malkin and Haglin. And their fourth line could be, like, Connor Sheary with Aston Reese and Riley Sheehan as a fourth line. Like, this team is deep. Like, adding Derek Broussard 
what a cup contender. How happy am I that I have this bet on them to win the cup? But I won't talk about that. I don't want to jinx anything. But Brian, how would you compare Broussard at this point to some of the other players we've discussed on the show? Like, let's say a Rick Nash or a Nolan Patrick. Like, Broussard clearly isn't going to be a point-per-game guy if he's not on the top power play and in the bottom six, I would assume. Though, obviously, playing with... Phil Kessel is good, and Phil Kessel's been getting a whole bunch of points this year, though I'd imagine a lot have been on the power play. We talked about how Phil Kessel has so many of his points on the power play. What's the value of Broussard moving forward? I dropped him, actually, in a weekly league that's pretty shallow. I dropped him for Tyler Toffoli. Like, around the same time that I saw this trade, I also saw that Jeff Carter was coming back, and I was like, oh, give me the guy playing on on a line with Jeff Carter. Maybe I made a mistake. I don't know. What do you think? I like Derek Broussard a ton if he's playing with Phil Kessel and Jake Gensel. He's more than capable of centering elite scorers like Kessel and chipping in above a 55-point pace himself. I will take Derek Broussard ahead of Rick Nash and Nolan Patrick and, yeah, Tyler Toffoli as well. But it's very hard to know how well a new player is going to fit in with a new team, right? I know, like, this is just a general trade traded player guy on a new team caveat, Everyone wants the trade deadline instant analysis, and it's out there. We can all make our best guesses. But these players are essentially still the exact same people they've been all season long, just now offer different deployment and perhaps a different system. So it really takes a week or two to truly get a sense of who fits well where. Again, we know who these players are. So my default is to just expect the same thing and adjust as much as I can for deployment. But I'm going to wait to see exactly how they use before giving a hard guess. And I'm sure everyone appreciates it. This is probably all unnecessary to mention. In fantasy, of course, you want to try and jump on guys ahead of the curve. As for Bassard, I've liked him all year long, and I like him even more now that he's away from the mess that is Ottawa. Yeah, Brian, I mean, I no disrespect for sure. I, I think I disagree. I think that he goes from a really top deployment in Ottawa where he was taking advantage, and I think he's getting buried. Like, sure, he'll be on the line with Phil Kessel, but he's not going to get significant power play time. Pittsburgh loves to run their top unit, and I don't see him getting on there. So yeah, I got Michael in the chat room is saying that he likes him less, and, and I agree with him, but we'll see. You're saying you like Broussard more. I think I would probably be looking to drop him now that he's on Pittsburgh. Like, he's in the Nick Benino role. Yeah, but he's not Nick Benino. He's Derek Brassard. He's he's a 55-plus point centerman who has a lot of experience centering elite players like Phil Kessel. And if you look, you know, everyone's concerned about the lost power play time. He had no power play points for, like, I'm going back a long, long time. He didn't have a power play point since December 21st before finally getting one uh, in his final game as an Ottawa Senator on February 22nd. So that's not how he's been getting his points this year. Just six power play points on the season. So I'm expecting his, he's still going to be able to score just as much at even strength. Yes, he got to play with Mark Stone in Ottawa, but now he gets Phil Kessel. Yeah, but for less time, right? Like they're, like Phil Kessel is on the third line. Like I think that Sidney Crosby is still going to be getting his huge amount of ice time. Same with Evgeny Malkin. How often is Broussard going to get on the ice? So we disagree. As much as Phil Kessel. Do you want Phil Kessel? How's Phil Kessel doing it only at even strength? Phil Kessel, 34 of his 70 points have come on the power play. So like half of his production. So 36 points in 63 games at even strength. Okay, so I don't know. I think that's... That probably proves your point. Yeah, okay. We'll wait and see. 
But I think this is not good news for Derek Broussard. It's great news for the Pittsburgh Penguins, though, because they get a ton of depth. By the way, I mentioned Patrick Hornquist. That's actually not how you pronounce his name. It's pronounced Harnquist. And I learned this from patron John yesterday. I met up with him and his IAHL league mates from Sweden. They're like traveling around, going to hockey games, a whole bunch of friends from Sweden in the league together. How jealous am I? I wish I had a group of friends I could travel around the world going to see NHL games with. Anyways, I learned a lot, actually, about how to pronounce Swedish players' names. They were they all listeners of the podcast and they were giving me lots of help by the way also patrick hanquist uh his nickname is benyan and that's what people tend to refer to him as at least in this league so he came back to play with malkin and also he jumped right back on the top power play blumping jake gensel uh hanquist had one power play goal on nine shots yesterday he also had 10 penalty minutes no hits but i'm sure those will come we had a question on twitter from at mr burns nine asking gensel Harnquist, Brassard are all available in free agency. Which Pingu would you take? I picked up Horny, but Gensel looks like he's finally figuring it out. Gens, Kess, and Brass could be a good scoring line, no? So first of all, you, this is the type of stuff we have to deal with, reading these tweets and all these nicknames. He actually, so I answered his tweet saying I would go with Harnquist while he's on the top power play. I'm curious to know if you concur. Then he followed up by asking how I feel about him calling the Pens the Pingus, and I said I'm for it. Brian, should we be calling them the Pingus moving forward? Well, anytime we want to send up a tribute to stop motion, claymation television shows of the 90s, sure. Oh, and then you had another question that might have been a little more relevant about Hornquist being on Power Play 1. Who do you prefer? Uh, I concur about your preference for Hornquist over Gensel and Broussard and the other guys, but only because I think... Here's the thing. I mean, so maybe I'm too optimistic on Broussard. I think you can get away leaving Gensel untouched for another game or two, but I think that with Broussard, Gensel has got some renewed upside that could surpass Bengians slash Harnqvists slash Hornqvists. Okay. That's just a guess. Like, clearly I'm in the minority here between you and the people in the chat who are just thinking Derek Broussard is good depth. I think he could make meaningful production happen. Maybe. Well, Michael said maybe Broussard will take Malkin's spot once Malkin inevitably gets injured. And then he sort of like trailed off. And we're just like, okay, let's not say that. But there's something to think about if you know where he's going there. Of course, Ottawa was also involved in this trade. So, and you obviously have made that very clear with your rant at the start of the segment. But let's look at how they're looking without Derek Broussard. Yesterday versus Philly, they went with Duchesne with Dezingle and Stone. Then Hoffman with Bobby Ryan, who, yes, Bobby Ryan's back. And Zach Smith. And then Peugeot with Pajarvi and Pyatt. And then Gabrick with McCormick and Shore. So I guess the whole Marion Gabrick line one experiment didn't last for too long so forget about him i know we said on the last episode when looking at that trade oh maybe he'll have some value on the top line didn't last okay we got peugeot and dezingle they got on the top power play with duchene and stone in their last game so brian are you into any of these almost for sure free agents of people's leagues ottawa senators who seem to be in a decent spot like we've got dezingle who i said is on a good line and then we have peugeot and smith and bobby ryan like of all these guys who interests you the most, if any, and also I don't want to trigger you, but should people p- be potentially preemptively adding Thomas Shabbat in anticipation of a Carlson trade? He had a power place this yesterday, and I'd imagine he'll be getting a lot more of those if Eric becomes a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Of that list of senators forwards, you asked me if I was interested in, I would pick Dezingle. He's shown some legit scoring upside before, and so his opportunity to put that on display continues to grow by getting to step into perhaps some increased deployment with Broussard gone. As for the three others you mentioned, Peugeot, Smith, Bobby Ryan, they could all be out the door by the end of Monday. So let's reassess next week. In the meantime, I think Zach Smith is the guy who has the best chance of helping your fantasy team, even more so than Ryan Dezingle. 
And Shabbat, I think I, I guess I made my opinion clear already. I am assuming that Eric Carlson doesn't get dealt before the summer. If he does, then yeah. But knowing the Sens, I'll have Cody Cece up there quarterbacking that top uh-huh. unit before they have Shabbat. Oh, sigh. Okay. Well, let's move on to some other teams in Ontario, or one in Ontario and one nearby. Montreal sent Thomas Blakanich to the Leafs today in exchange for a couple of nobodies. I think we actually discussed Kirby Reichel at some point on the podcast as someone who maybe would be worth looking at. Anyway, it doesn't seem like he's worth much now. Obviously, the main thing here is the Haps and Blakanich to the Leafs. Even that probably is not worth discussing, except that... Uh, the Leafs are in an interesting situation right now with Austin Matthews being out with a shoulder injury. He's expected to miss at least a week, could be more. Without Placanets in the picture yesterday, the Leafs shook things up. They split up the red-hot Kadri, Marner, and Marlowe line to go with Kadri, Komarov, and Marlowe, and then Hyman with Marner and Nylander. And by the way, that's another pronunciation I got corrected on yesterday. It's William Nylander, not Nylander. So anyways, I was expecting Nylander's value to tank with Matthews out, but this was, of course, a reprieve for him to play with Marner and not with like a Hyman and Connor Brown, as I assumed he would. And Nylander put up two assists in the win over the Bruins. So I guess now we just have to kind of wait and see how things will shake out with Matthews out and Placanitz in. And by the way, okay, this Austin Matthews injury might only be for a week or two, but if people are entering their fantasy playoffs like this week or next week, it's worth considering. Like, Brian... Do you think that maybe the Leafs will just put everything back to normal except Placanitz taking Matthews' spot, centering Nylander and Hyman? Or would Placanitz only be like a bottom six guy and they'll stick with what they did yesterday? Like, basically, I'm really trying to gauge. Like, I don't care about Thomas Placanitz. I don't think he has any value. I'm curious about what this means for William Nylander. Well, it's hard to say what it means for William. I'm still going with Nylander, the North Americanized pronunciation. Apologies to all our Swedish friends. I'm just not sure I can adjust uh, appropriately. Uh, okay, where were we? Yeah, there's some moving pieces here. Matthew's injured, Placanit's in. So we don't know what either of those things really mean yet to be able to predict what happens to Nylander. There, there's one for you. We'll be watching to see if Placanit's arrival means that Nylander can move back to the wing, where he's probably better suited despite a good game at that position on Saturday night. Or maybe Nylander stays at center because Babcock would prefer to bump a centerman like Moore out of the lineup than he would a winger. I think the takeaway from this deal on the whole acquiring Pocanets for the Leafs is that it could free up Nazem Kadri, Austin Matthews and their line mates for some more offensive opportunity. Placanitz is an effective shutdown player who has been seeing other teams top players for years in Montreal and could likely be expected to have the same asked of him now that he's in Toronto. So if he does that, that would mean that he would eat the tough minutes and defensive zone starts that Nazem Kadri and Austin Matthews have had to take on because guys like Tyler Bozak and Dominic Moore haven't been up to the task lately. So I would rather, here's I'll, I'll take it all back to Nylander, I would rather see Nylander playing away from Placanitz than with him because I imagine Placanitz is going to be the shutdown guy and facing the other team's top players all the time. With Matthews out for the time being, uh, we'll see what options are really at play. There are a lot of ways. I've seen about 15 hypothetical line combination sets. None seems any more likely than the other. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens over the next couple of days and what it means for Nylander. 
Yeah, so if you own pretty much any Toronto Maple Leaf right now and you need their production in the very near future, I'd be definitely checking in at Dauber Hockey's Frozen Pool line combos and seeing who's playing with who, because that's going to obviously have a huge effect on people's values. I agree with you, Brian. If you're playing with Placanets, that's probably not a sign that you're in an offensive role. Okay, and of course, regarding the Habs, this trade is piddling fantasy-wise compared to all the other news out of Montreal that's come out over the past week. First of all, Carey Price is out indefinitely with a concussion, and then Shea Weber is having having surgery on his left foot and will miss the rest of the season. So, okay, two big things here. Let's start with Carey Price. I can't believe I'm asking this, Brian, but should people be concerned? I don't even want to say it loudly. I'm not even going to use my podcast voice for this because I don't want this to get tied to me. But, Brian, should people be considering adding anti-Niemi to their teams? Like, I'm sorry, but, like, he's been really good in the two games. He's played with Price injured. He stopped 31 of 32 shots in the 3-1 win over the Rangers on Thursday. Then he let in three goals on 39 shots in the 4-3 shootout loss to Tampa yesterday. So he's been good. I assumed when Price got injured that Charlie Lindgren would jump into the number one role, just like what happened earlier in the year when Price was injured. Montoya was the backup, and Lindgren clearly got the games over Montoya. I thought that would happen again. Why would Antiniemi be the starting goalie? But now he's got the job for the last couple of games he's been good can he continue to be good and be worth owning or am i being crazy right now people should just not even add any habs goalie so if i am montreal brass i just signed charlie lindgren to a three-year deal where i expect he's not only going to back up carry price but is going to play well enough and play often enough to keep carry price from having to be a workhorse every year so that's Lindgren. And then I've got Antti Niemi, who's fighting to stay in the NHL after his contract is up this year. So I know I'm not making the playoffs and that this year is just about done. So if it was my call in Montreal, I might as well start getting Lindgren some starts. It seems to be what serves the organization best. Of course, it makes it a little hard to do that when Niemi is suddenly doing so well. But the logical thing would be for Niemi to get no more than half the starts while Price is out. I don't think you're going to be able to pick one guy and ride either one for starts, because as we've seen, logic does not always prevail in any goaltending situation, particularly in Montreal. Do you want the Montreal goalie at all? Yeah, that's that's the real question here. Start either one with a lot of caution. Yeah, that's fair. I think that probably they'll just keep going with Niemi until he blows it, and then Lindgren will get a start, and then we'll have to go from there. It's really hard to call what's going to happen. Eventually, Niemi's going to blow it. So you're kind of playing Russian roulette whenever you're starting anti-Niemi. By the way, Brian, just a quick callback. We brought up Ryan Spooner on the Rangers. He has a power play assist already today from the second unit on a JT Miller goal. So maybe that uh, raises his value a little bit, though we knew he'd be on the second power play. And yeah, clearly he's good on the power play. He's shown it again today, apparently. Okay, and so yeah, we were talking about also Shea Weber being injured. So of course, if Jeff Petrie is still unknown in your league, you've got to add him ASAP. This guy's having a fantastic season. He now has points in four straight games. He's up to 30 points in 61 games overall. And a lot of that was not on the top power play. I'm sure if you just look at the games when Weber was out you'd see a much better rate of points to games he also hits and shoots a bunch he blocks if only the Habs would have told us that Weber was going to be out for the rest of the season a long time ago I wouldn't have added and then subsequently dropped Jeff Petrie in so many of my leagues I'm really frustrated at myself but I'm going to put all the blame not on myself but on Montreal because they kept saying that Weber was going to come back so I thought there was no point to hold Petrie because by the time my fantasy playoffs came he wouldn't have any value clearly now he does yeah has a lot of value in fact you devalued him in several conversations I had with you. And that's why I don't have him on my team anymore. I had him and dropped him earlier on when I thought Weber might actually play again this year or that Petrie would help me for like a week, but not the rest of the season. So if Petrie's still out in your league, he's a must own as a power play quarterback 
guy who helps in peripherals too. And Elon, I'm not that mad at you about it. I was the one who ultimately made the choice. Yeah. And also, Brian, I'm pretty sure if I go back to some conversations we had, it was definitely the other way around. It was you telling me to not hold peach. No, I don't think so. I can remember at least one, maybe two occasions where I was like, ah, is this a good time to add Petrie? And you you were cooler on him than I was. Ah, groupthink. I feel like you said it to me once and I said it to you once. And we all just bought in that Weber <laughs> would be back because we were dumb and we believed the Habs when like they did the same thing a couple of years ago with Carey Price and they kept saying he'd come back and then he never did. By the way, Tony in the chat room was asking, should he drop Zach Wierenski for Jeff Petrie? I don't even know your categories, but I'm going to say yes, I would. And we're actually going to bring up Wierenski later in the show. I am not into him. Brian, I guess you could answer that now or you could just wait until we talk about Zach Wierenski and then we could remember to bring up Petrie then. But I'm going to move on now. We're done with trade talk. Let's go on to some injuries. So let's go to Calgary, where this injury we already knew about. We actually were blindsided by it a couple of weeks ago when Mike Smith got hurt. And he was supposed to be day-to-day, but he's now been put on the IR. He's missed a lot more time than we thought. We still don't have a good sense of when Mike Smith will come back. So let's start considering the possibility that Mike Smith is out long-term and which goalie on Calgary is the one to own. David Riddich hasn't been very strong lately. He's only put up a decent save percentage once in his last five starts, which is probably why finally John Gillies got into the net. He got to play the last couple of games for the Flames, and he's been great. He stopped 35 of 37 versus Arizona on Thursday in the 5-2 win. Then he stopped 28 of 29 in the 5-1 win over Colorado yesterday. Maybe it's kind of unfair that Gillies got these easier opponents compared to who Riddich got to play against but at the end of the day i feel like i've been saying at the end of the day too much but maybe i'm watching too much reality tv i know they say that a lot also they say threw me under the bus a lot i'll try to fit that in somewhere i think you said earlier this episode that i threw you under the bus so all coming full circle what am i talking about okay i'm talking about the flames goalies riddich versus gillies if people have picked up riddich like let's say mike smith got injured i'm sure a lot of people rushed to grab david riddich if now they still have him and gillies is available is it time to consider switching over to gillies assuming they don't have the option to hold both if Smith stays out a while, who would you rather have at this point? If you found out like news comes out tomorrow that Smith's going to be out rest of season and you could have a Calgary goalie. Well, Smith was just placed on injured reserve, but still considered day to day and can be activated anytime for anybody who has Smith and is like, I don't care about these other guys. I need Smith to come back. That's the latest on him, although it was disturbingly quiet for a little while while we were waiting for that most recent update. I can see... John Gillies and David Riddich playing out like Jeff Glass, Anton Forsberg, except hopefully whoever owns these Flames guys can expect a few more wins along the way than that Chicago tandem provided. I think whoever plays well is going to keep playing because there's no apparent loyalty to either guy, and there's reasons to want to see each of them get ice time. Gillies, he's their top goaltending prospect. They want to see what they have in him. Riddich has earned the number two job. He's been great all year in that role. Maybe he can keep that role for a little while longer if he can play well now and let Gillies develop further in the AHL. Yeah, I definitely don't think Calgary is interested at all in seeing what they have in John Gillies right now. Like, they are a playoff team. They're going for it all this year. This Calgary Flames team has been so good. So, wait, what was your answer before I move on? Talking about Calgary forwards. Like, who would you rather have between Riddich and Gillies? I, I, I did not give an answer. I guess I would lean Riddich, but I feel like it really could bounce back and forth depending on whoever's playing well. Like you either want to cuff them or just switch back and forth as quickly as you can watching every tidbit you possibly can get about who's going to start the next game. 
Yeah, I think if you looked at just the recent history, like I said, Riddich hasn't been good and Gillies has been good. But I do think it's worth considering that Gillies has played against some easier teams. So it seems to me like maybe it's worth holding Riddich, though it would be a bummer if one of your opponents picks up Gillies out of free agency. He might be there now. He might not still be there next week. And if Mike Smith is out for the rest of the regular season and like, and you could have the starting goalie on the Calgary Flames and John Gillies, that would be really valuable. So I, you definitely want one of them. Unfortunately, we don't know which one, but this team is good. Like they can score some goals over the last month, which is 14 games. Goudreau, Monaghan, Kachuk, and Hamilton especially have all been so good. They all have over a point per game or very close. Kachuk has 13 in 14 games. If you have any of these top power play guys, you are loving life right now. Come the summer, Brian, we're definitely going to have to discuss in our summer series how good these players really are. Like Goudreau is up to 73 points in 63 games, which is a 95-point pace, a clear you know, top-round draft pick next year if we think he can do this again. Then you have Monaghan, who's basically at a point per game. He's at 58 points in 62 games. I don't think any of us expected him to be this good. We thought he'd be good, not this good. You got Kachuk and Hamilton, both just killing it since joining the top power play. Do you? I actually think that the Flames could be a very sneaky playoff dark horse this year with everyone heating up at the right time. Like, what do you think of the Flames' playoff chances? They just seem to be such a solid team with so much high-end offensive upside and seems like they have the goal team. Like, Mike Smith has been good, and even if he's injured, John Gillies seems good. Like, I don't know, I'm not too worried. I think they're a good team. They are a good team. Right now, they stand sixth in the league and score adjusted Corsi 4 percentage, which is a good place to be. The Flames are right around top 10 in expected goals measures. And right now they're in a dogfight with San Jose, Anaheim, LA, St. Louis for the final Pacific Division. And potentially, if they don't get that, the final wild card spots in the West. If Mike Smith returns in time, the Flames could certainly be worthy of a playoff spot, although a wild card matchup means that they'll get Nashville, Winnipeg, or Vegas in the first round. That'd be very tough to get past, but curious to see if they can add a piece, maybe someone like Zach Smith, that could give them a nice bump the rest of the way. If Mike Smith is still out and you have to play one of these guys, Gillies or Riddich, I would still feel pretty comfortable playing them. Like I said, it's kind of like the Chicago tandem, except you can expect them to win more often than not. Yeah, I think I know what you're saying, that if Calgary gets a wild card spot, they'd have to play Winnipeg or Vegas or Nashville, which would be a really tough matchup for them. But I'll bet you also these top teams would really prefer not to play Calgary. That's just my guess. I feel like they would be scared of having to go up against Goudreau and Monaghan and Hamilton and Kachuk and all these guys who are on fire right now. I'm sure they'd rather play San Jose, who's getting riddled with injuries. We actually had news that Brent Burns has been playing injured and maybe not up to his full potential. We'll actually get to him a little later. But let's keep going with actual injuries. Another injury that we already knew about, but maybe it's little more serious so john gibson he's still out was recently put on the ir this guy gets injured really often brian like i think we're at the point where we should be considering him a band-aid boy as dauber would say like is he a risky guy to draft due to his likelihood of getting injured i'd be very nervous about drafting john gibson next year like i have in one of my leagues this year it's very frustrating that he keeps getting injured very frustrating. He's a tough guy to own with all those injuries. Okay, and with Gibson out, of course, now we have Ryan Miller as the new starting goalie for as long as he needs to be. How into Ryan Miller are you at this point for as long as Gibson is hurt? He's been amazing in his three games since Gibson went down, stopping 97 of 98 shots, which is crazy, though he has been playing today. Those were numbers before today. The Oilers are beating the Ducks 3-2. to two. So I guess Ryan Miller finally letting in some goals, but it's tough playing two games in a row on a back-to-back. So poor Ryan Miller, poor Anaheim Ducks. Curious, Brian, like, who would you want more right now between Ryan Miller and, let's say, one of the Flames goalies if you had the option to get all three? Like I said, you have John Gibson. He's going into your IR, and you could pick someone up, and Riddich, Gillies, and Miller are all available for you. Who would you add? 
So the Ducks are right in the thick of that Western Conference playoff race with Calgary. So Miller is playing for a very motivated team, just like the Flames goalies. He and the Flames goalies are also probably equally well-supported, equally reliable, or should I say equally unreliable because you don't know exactly what sort of personal performance they're going to turn in, even if the team in front of them does have a good night. If I had to choose one, I would go Ryan Miller as my ad, just because it takes the guesswork out of wondering who's going to get the start on any given night in the Flames crease. You know you have Miller, you know he's going to start. Yeah, I guess my question made it easy because I was like, if you have Gibson and he got injured, imagine if you have some other goalie who gets injured, you know, and like you don't want to add Ryan Miller, then have Gibson come back and Miller is useless. I feel like at that point you want to have a Flames goalie. So it's obviously very context dependent. and It's obviously tough also that you don't know which Flames goalie you would want. So uh, I don't know. Tweet at us as the situations come up and we'll try to help you in the moment. Hopefully we'll have more context. We'll be able to help. Since we're on the Ducks, let's talk about a couple of cold streaks in Anaheim. First of all, Andre Kasha, huge bust after we talked him up last week. He had no points and only two shots in the three games before today after we talked about him. So sorry to anyone who added him. Hopefully you added him, saw that he got no shots and no points in his game on Monday and then quickly dropped him just like I did. Then also Ricard Raquel, he's actually gone cold. He's only gotten points in two of his last eight games. Again, that's before today so i could check and see versus edmonton raquel has a goal so that's nice there you go i I was gonna ask anyways i was gonna say that probably raquel's fine like one culprit for the reason why he hasn't been getting as many points lately could be that he's been off the top power play the ducks lately have been running three forwards and two d though that changed yesterday and we'll see what happened today i have a feeling raquel would be back on that top power play at some point so i'm not worried about him a guy I'm more worried about actually on Anaheim that might still be owned is Cam Fowler. He was off the top power play for a while and he's pointless in six games, Though that's actually before today. He has an assist today, but regardless, would you be worried as a Cam Fowler owner? He's not helping you much in terms of peripherals. So uh, if he's not getting you points, he's not doing much for you. And right now it doesn't seem like Cam Fowler is consistently giving you many points. There's just not a whole lot of scoring coming from Anaheim's blue line on the whole lately. Over the last month, before tonight's game, Fowler leads the team's decor with 7 points in 14 games, which doesn't sound so bad, followed by Hampus Lindholm with just 5 points in 14 games. But all of those 7 essentially came on the strength of a nice run that Fowler had had just before this cold snap. If you own him, I'm trying to hang on. I mean, tonight is obviously a good start. And I, I imagine he's going to return to the top power play before long. In the meantime, uh, if he does not fully retake that spot, you may be interested in Brandon Montour, who's been the top power play timeshare guy for the Ducks' last five games. Also note that the Ducks only play twice next week, which is more reason, like, if you're on the fence about Cam Fowler, maybe you go ahead and drop him, hoping that you can pick him up again Wednesday or Thursday in advance of the Ducks' Friday and Sunday games. And who else has a bad schedule next week? Arizona and Buffalo also only play twice next week. So just be careful if you're counting on players from those teams, which hopefully you aren't. Well, definitely that hurts me, Brian, because in my Cupful matchup, which is a two-week matchup that the first week just ended, and I have Ryan O'Reilly and Rasmus Ristolainen, who unfortunately you can't drop these guys, but I only get two games. Uh, the frustrations of the NHL schedule. If only they could just be even every week. If only the NHL could schedule their games keeping fantasy in mind. But whatever. Okay, next injury. Nick Felino is out for a couple of weeks with a lower body injury. He's had such a terrible season. He only has 26 points in 59 games. I'm sure he's not owned in most leagues. Even with top power play time, he's only been a half point per game player over the past month. Of course, his injury does open up a spot on that top power play. It looks like Columbus was rolling with Panarin, Dubois, Atkinson, Wenberg, and Jones yesterday. That's Seth Jones on the top power play. 
those first three, Panarin, Dubois, and Atkinson, were also on the top line. So let's take a look at some of these guys like Dubois. He put up a goal and a power play assist on Atkinson's power play goal versus Chicago yesterday. He actually has four points in his last four games. Like, there's not really that much to ask here, but I'd imagine you'd concur that Dubois is once again worth grabbing if he's available. Columbus, first of all, has a nice schedule next week. They play Monday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. And like I say, he's top line, top power play with Panarin. If you had him before, if he was owned before and then dropped after a culture, like now's the time to add him again, I'd say. Yeah, Pierre-Luc Dubois is worth grabbing, especially since we did see Felino having some success from that spot before being injured. The points had been coming for Felino at more than half a point per game, like you said, Elon, but he'd put up 23 shots over six games before going on the shelf. Now, Dubois does not have that kind of shot volume, but ideally he can make up for it with more points, especially with the nice schedule that you mentioned. Yeah, and then, though, even with the nice schedule, it may be time for people to consider dropping Zach Wierenski if they're still holding on. We discussed this on Thursday's Mailbag Show with the patrons, so let's just give a quick recap. Obviously, if you want to check out our full discussion on Zach Wierenski, you could become a patron of Keeping Carlson, get a bunch of bonus episodes, well, one per week, adds up to a bunch, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But yeah, Brian, do you think Zach Wierenski is a snoozer at this point? He only has one point in his last six games. He's off the top power play. He hardly hits or blocks seems like people may want to finally let go before their playoffs start. Like earlier in the year, we were like, oh, you might as well hold on. He has upside. But now is when it counts, and he is just not bringing it. He is not. Zach Wierenski, the time has come to consider dropping him, depending on your replacement options, of course. The difference between this year for Wierenski and last year remains a function of his power play points. His even strength shot and point generation numbers are pretty similar to last year, and the points per 60 discrepancy adds up to about just four points over 82 games, which, yes, is kind of a big deal for a defenseman like Wierenski, but is also explainable by seeing his sunken even strength on ice shooting percentage, which would make it kind of a wash. The problem has been that his power play demotion means that Wierenski has even less of a chance of reclaiming those lost power play points that have made him fall behind compared to last year's point total. So you can feel free to cut bait on Wierenski if you have A, any other 35 to 40 point guys with killer peripherals out there or 40 point guys with decent peripherals available to you. Yeah, or maybe even a guy that doesn't get you a lot of points, but it's just a peripheral specialist, like a Mark Borowiecki type or Patterin on Dallas who we've brought up. Like maybe you just forget because Wierenski's not giving you many points anyways. You might as well get peripherals from someone. I mentioned, Brian, that Tony asked in our chat room before when we were talking about Jeff Petrie, if he should drop Wierenski for Petrie. I feel like it's a no-brainer. Do you agree? Yeah, I would drop Wierenski for Petrie tomorrow, today, yesterday. Do it. Do it. Okay. Let's go to outjuries, where I only have one, but I wanted to mention that Tomas Hurdle returned to the Sharks on Thursday after missing three games with a hand injury. No points, but six shots in two games so far before today. It's worth noting that San Jose has only scored two goals in those two games, so the Lions got shaken up in today's morning skate. Looks like they were going with Meyer, Pavelski, and Donskoy. Then Hurdle with Couture and Melker Carlson. Then Bodker with Chris Tierney and Kevin LeBanc. So not great news for Bodker and LeBanc, who were in great spots before. And like McCall Bodker, up a four-game goal-scoring streak before going quiet these last couple of games. And then LeBanc, we've liked for a while. He was on the top power play, but it looks like LeBanc is off the top power play and out of the top six. I'd imagine both of these guys are now snoozers while they're out of the top six, right? In, in terms of Bodker and LeBanc, get rid of them. And looks like now, if you want someone on the top power play, they've been going with Couture, Donskoy, Hurdle, Pavelski, and Burns. So you have Eunice Donskoy as someone who might be available in free agency in your league, or maybe Tomash Hurdle. So Brian, what, what do you think overall? Like, Who do you want on San Jose? Hurdle, probably number one of the people who might be available in free agency. And then anyone else? 
No, LeBanc and Bodker go back to being those fringe free agency options that you might add if you're looking for an extra game sometime. By the way, how disappointing was LeBanc in the opportunity? Ryan, I have to stop you. It's LeBanc. We've been Sorry. corrected on this. How disappointing was LeBanc in his most recent opportunity to shine, by the way? Now at zero goals and one assist over his last seven games, just 15 shots, very weak and surely very disappointing for anyone who added him thinking he would be able to take better advantage. Yeah, for sure. He has an assist today on Chris Tierney's goal, but that's not enough for me to not call him a snoozer moving forward. Brent, also, are you concerned about this news that came out that Brent Burns has been playing with an upper body injury? Maybe that could perhaps explain why he slowed down. He only has one assist in his last four games before today. No points so far today in the game against the Minnesota Wild. Are you worried about Burns? Should, like, it's not like you could do anything about it if you're a Burns owner. You're not going to drop him. I mean, the trade deadline's probably already passed. But like, do you think that Burns will be able to do Burns things for the rest of the year? Or do you have to just feel bad for yourself now moving forward because you know that he's playing hurt? He was rumored to have been playing with some kind of injury during his cold spell at the start of the year, too. So a little concerned about Brent Burns going through that again. But he is now, in the last two games before we recorded tonight, he had 12 shots and five blocks in those two games combined. And that seems to indicate that he may not be feeling all that bothered. He's also returned to 23 to 25 minutes of ice time. So if Burns stays in that range, I'll assume he's got to be at least 75 to 80% healthy because he was down at like 20 minutes and 16 minutes when the injury concern first bubbled up. Uh, And even at 75 to 80%, that still makes Brent Burns a very good fantasy option. Yeah, but I kind of need him at 100% if I want to stay alive in my league. But what can I do? Okay, let's go to a couple hot and cold streaks to end the show. First hot, Craig Smith is at it again. He's currently riding a seven-game point streak, including points today against St. Louis. The lines are the same as the last time that Craig Smith was hot. He's been on line two with Turris and Fiala and on the top power play with Arvidsson, Johansson, Forsberg, and Subban. Also, Nashville has a great schedule next week. They play Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, so you get four games out of him. I feel like a pretty obvious ad is Craig Smith if he's still available in your free agency. I'd imagine you concur, so I'll make it a little harder for you. Craig Smith or Nolan Patrick. But now you got a little down on Nolan Patrick, so I think it's going to be an easy Craig Smith, right? It's an easy Craig Smith for me. He's also got a couple power play points and has had four shots or more in three games over the last seven or some kind of stretch like that too. So yeah, I like Craig Smith more for now. If Nolan Patrick hangs nine shots on goal on the next two teams he faces, maybe I'll switch though. That is fair. And okay, on the other end of the spectrum, let's go to a cold streak and talk about Nicholas Beckström, as I learned his name is pronounced by John and my other new Swedish friends. Uh, So Nicholas Beckström is cold again. He's pointless in his last five games. Brian, how is this happening? Beckström has been on line one and power play one with Ovechkin this whole time, as far as I could tell. And Ovechkin has been consistently putting up points pretty much every game. So I just don't see how Beckström, sorry, Beckström is not doing anything. Like, should his owners be concerned? Like, at this point, I feel like even if he heats up again before the end of the year, I would shy away from drafting him next year. He's gone through too many cold streaks this year for me to be comfortable trusting him to be a super reliable option like he has been for so so many years now he only has 45 points in 61 games this year which is a 60 point pace compare that to 86 points last year and above 70 in the last four seasons and even before that he had really high paces but just not as many games so i think i don't know like i'm not saying that beckstrom is over but i'm very concerned and i'd like to know why he's cold right now when he's on a line that's getting so many points it's just completely bad luck 
I can't say I have much of an explanation for why Backstrom is not picking up points, even though Ovechkin is scoring goals and they're playing together. Looking at the whole season, one thing that's dogged Backstrom all year long is a low IPP. He's been only getting in on 60% of the goals scored while he's on the ice, rather than getting a point on 70 to 85%. That's the range we've seen him have for the seven seasons prior to this one. So that certainly is accounting for Backstrom's 60-point pace, along with the fact that he's already spent 368 minutes of even-strength ice time away from Ovechkin this year. That already eclipses the time they spent apart in 82 games last year by 13 minutes. And the year before that, in 2015-16, Backstrom and Ovechkin spent fewer than 300 minutes apart all season. And again, after like 60 games, they've already spent 368 minutes apart this year. Now, that doesn't necessarily help explain the last six games for Backstrom, during which he's been with Ovechkin and not getting points. I'm going to chalk that up as more of an unfortunate fluke. Tom Wilson, by the way, the third piece of their line, has also not registered a point on the same goal as Ovechkin for five games and counting. Who has been sharing a point scored with Ovechkin now? Uh, Defensemen like Carlson Niskanen and Kristen Juice and Kuznetsov and Burakovsky. So we'll see if Backstrom and Tom Wilson maybe can find themselves back onto the same scoring line as Ovechkin, not just by the type of line they are on the ice. I'm trying to say the same scoring line on a box score, not on the actual ice. Yeah, I get you. I'm pretty happy I don't have Nicholas Beckstrom on my team. But okay, Brian, that is all I've got. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another one of our episodes. This has been a really fun one. We've had a lot to talk about. We're probably going to have a lot to talk about next week, too. All of the trades that happen tomorrow, including maybe an Eric Carlson trade. We'll see. I know Brian said on the show that he doesn't think it'll happen to the summer, but apparently there have been some developments while we've been recording that something could happen. Let's not speculate. We'll talk about it all next week. If you're a patron of the show, you'll get our thoughts sooner on all of the trades that happen because we're going to do a bonus episode Wednesday or Thursday, we'll let the patrons know ASAP for sure. But with that, Brian, uh, okay, you can follow us on Twitter. You give us five-star review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. I know I always say that really quickly. We really would like that five-star review on iTunes. It doesn't cost you anything, and it really helps out the show. So consider that. Uh, you could become a patron of Keeping Carlson. I know you might think, oh, it's the end of the season. Why would I do it at this point? Sign up for like one month of being a patron. Get our bonus episodes. Join our Facebook group. Have a great time. And then leave. It's fine. Okay. Or maybe we'll convince you to stay. Who knows? Okay. Uh, that's KeepingCarlson.com slash patron. But with that, let's cue the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest ones, Tim B and Danny P. Welcome aboard. This show was researched with help from Dabra Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dabra Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trick, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrack. Great job, as always, Brian. And we'll catch you all with another episode next week. Join us live. KeepingCarlson.com slash live Sundays, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. Keep him. Keep the guy. That was my Jerry Seinfeld. Why don't they keep him? Why would you trade him? He's so good. That might be what this front office needs to hear, Elon. <laughs>